Good evening and welcome back tonight. So glad you're here again. As we begin our lesson tonight, you'll see that our question that we have reserved for tonight is simply this, who is the Holy Spirit? Now, as we begin tonight, we're going to simply presuppose that all of us believe that the Holy Spirit exists and know that He's a part of the Godhead. And, and we know from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19, that the Bible says, Go therefore into all the world, or rather, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on about teaching them. And so, again, we're simply presupposing tonight that we in this group, the way that, that we're here together, that we believe in the Holy Spirit. But... Tonight, I would suggest to you, I don't have really any scientific proof of this, but I would suggest to you that if you ask ten ordinary people about the Holy Spirit, at least nine of them would have some kind of misunderstanding or misconception in regard to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's based on, on things that, you know, my conversations with people and things that I've been able to see. I haven't sat down and counted that, but I would say it's probably as high as nine out of ten who have some kind of misunderstanding or misconception about the Lord, about the Holy Spirit. And yet, as we think about the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit dwells within Christians. In the book of Romans chapter 8 at verse number 11, the Bible says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And so, you know, from that information that we have, that one verse, we have the Spirit dwelling within us. And when we think about how it is that he does that, there are disagreements even among good brethren who have studied for a lifetime in regard to the Bible, but they have, a, uh, have disagreements. I guess probably one of the most famous disagreements within the church was between Brother Woods and Brother Nichols. And many of you, you know, grew up under the influence or at least knowing Brother Nichols or knowing about Brother Nichols. He took the position that um, one is personally indwelled. Brother Woods took the position that one is indwelled by the, uh, by the Scriptures. Uh, the Spirit indwells through the Scriptures. And, and both of them um, agreed that there was no man miraculous manifestation. And so they continued to be brothers. And, and it was simply based on their understanding of the Scripture, what they could bring forth. Now, I personally do not agree with Brother Nichols, but that doesn't mean that that he's not a, a very smart man and that he doesn't have some things. You know, he even has a book uh, concerning the Holy Spirit. But uh, as we look at it, my, my personal observations from the Scriptures that I've studied is that he indwells through that. But it's not our purpose tonight to debate that or to even talk about that, you know, in great detail. That's, that's not what this lesson is all about. That's not what we're wanting to think about in this particular lesson. I know some, sometimes people will, 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 anytime you mention the Holy Spirit, they want to get to that part of it. But that's not what we're going to be doing tonight. When we think about people and their conception of the Holy Spirit, some only conceive of the Spirit as simply an animated force. He's not like the rest of the Godhead, not like the Father and the Son. He, he's some sort of animated force. He, he's a mystical spirit, if you will, and that is a word that's used in some of the, some of the language and some of the uh, commentaries and so forth that you'll see. And so he's not like that. But 
As we, as we consider it tonight, does the Bible not have anything to say in regard to the Holy Spirit? And I suggest to you that it does, and we'll spend some time tonight talking about just who is the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two primary focuses that we'll mention tonight that we'll look at, we'll talk about for a little bit. The first one is simply this. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we need to understand that the Holy Spirit possesses the characteristics of deity. When we're talking about deity, we're talking about God, we're talking about, you know, the things that belong to Him. And so, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we know that He possesses characteristics of deity. For example, we know, and let's back up there, we know that He is a spiritual being. We know that He's a spiritual being. Matter of fact, you know, that's how we refer to Him, as simply the Holy Spirit. But in the book of Acts chapter 17, verse 29, let me just simply remind us of a few things tonight. The Bible says, Paul is talking there, he says, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being as... Uh, uh, is, <clears throat> is like gold or silver or stone, an image or an image formed <clears throat> by the art or imagination of man. Uh, when we're talking about God, he, he, He's not the material that, uh, uh, that sometimes the gods of old were made of. You know, they constructed their pagan gods and goddesses out of, out of these different things, but but God is not a material being like they are. The Spirit is not a material being. He's not made out of something that we have here on earth. Rather, He is a spiritual being. In the book of Luke chapter 24, at verse number 39, Jesus, when He is resurrected, says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. And it's this last part that we want to focus on for the study tonight. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. Okay, and so again, the, it's, uh, the Holy Spirit is not, not silver and gold or anything like that. And, and the Holy Spirit is not flesh. It's not skin and not bones and all of those kinds of things. But He is a spirit. He is a spiritual being. But you know what? He is really no different than the Father. Now, how do I know that? Is the Father a spiritual being? Absolutely. Go to a passage in the Bible that you probably know quite well. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, we focus a lot on verse 24. But in John chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says, The hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship who? The Father shall worship the Father and he goes on, Jesus talking here, in spirit and in truth. For the Father, again, specifically stated, is seeking such people to worship Him. And then how does verse 24 start? God is a spirit. Which God? Which God is, is Jesus talking about? Well, unless he just completely jumps ship here, he's talking about the Father. The Father is seeking such to worship him. And in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him, just like he said in verse 23, in spirit and in truth. And so when we're thinking about the Holy Spirit, he is, he is 
uh, has characteristics of deity. He is a spiritual being and not a, not a material being. But secondly tonight, as we think about those characteristics of deity, He is eternal. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is eternal. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 at verse number 14. The writer says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through, watch this, the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He is an eternal Spirit. The word eternal means perpetual with regard to the past and the future. It can refer to either one, but when we're talking about God, we're talking about perpetual going backwards and perpetual going forward. Now, it's possible for us to have eternal life, isn't it? We didn't have eternal in the past, but we can have perpetual life in the future. But deity has it both ways. Deity extends in both directions. Deity has eternal life in the past, lived forever, didn't have a starting point, nor will he have an ending point. And that's the way the Spirit is, because he is called an eternal Spirit. And so, tonight, another of the characteristics of deity is he's eternal. But what about the Spirit? The Spirit possesses the characteristic of omnipotence. He is omnipotent, if you will. What does that mean? Well, he is all-powerful. That's a fancy word for saying that he has, that he has power and he's all-powerful. Now, notice a couple of passages here. Genesis chapter 1, verse number 2. The Bible says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now watch this next part. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Who was there? Well, we know the Holy Spirit was there. We know God the Father was there. We know Christ was there. Christ was involved in the creation. We could deal with that out of a number of passages. But we know that the Spirit was there. He was hovering above, the Bible says. He was, he was there. He was in existence even when the creation came to be. And so he had <coughs> that power. But look at what Job said in Job 33, verse 4. The Bible says there, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. You see, the Spirit had a part in creation. Job said that, and so we understand that. Look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse number 11. Not only did he have a, uh, the power to help bring life into existence, but he had power to raise it back up. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says... If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Who had a part in bringing Jesus from the dead? The Spirit had a part. You know, we think about the Father. We know the Father had a part. Paul, would, or Peter rather, would talk about that. But the Spirit had a part. As well, He's deity. He's God. And so we need to recognize that. But not only is He God, He is an all-powerful part. He is all-powerful God. Not only is He omnipotent, but He's omniscient. 
Again, that's one of those $10 words for saying that he knows everything. Okay? He has all knowledge. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, at verse 13, Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Is there anything you could teach the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord? Is there anything you could instruct him upon? No. And that's the question. You know, it's a rhetorical question here. Who's done that? Well, nobody. Why? Because he doesn't need to know anything else because he already knows everything. He possesses all knowledge, just like God the Father possesses all knowledge and Jesus Christ possesses that knowledge. The Spirit is uh, deity and he possesses it as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, <clears throat> Paul writes about knowing what a man can know, and he knows it through his own mind, through his own spirit, but who knows the mind of God? Well, the Spirit of God knows God. How much does the Father know? Same amount as the Spirit knows. How much does the Spirit know? Same amount that the Father knows. And so he is omniscient. He knows everything that there is. But then not only that, <clears throat> one more of those $10 words, he's omnipresent. In other words, he is everywhere at all times. Uh, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, <clears throat> and I want you to watch, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I go from your spirit, the psalmist says, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. And the psalmist goes on in, in, in verses 7 and 8, or following verse 8 there, and he, he names a lot of places. And he said, I can't go anywhere where you're not. But notice what he said in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? The Holy Spirit of God, again, is mentioned there and mentioned as being omnipresent. And so we could multiply some of these things in regard to the Spirit, but we understand tonight, when we ask the question, who is the Spirit? We answer it by saying, He is deity. He is deity. But then, a second way that we should look at the Spirit tonight is this. You see, the Holy Spirit possesses the characteristics of a person. I'm not talking about a human being. I'm talking about the personality and things of that nature. Characteristics of a person. So what do we mean by that? Well, when we talk about him having the characteristics of a person, it's just interesting to note the personal pronouns. The personal pronouns by which the Holy Spirit is spoken of in the Scriptures. Now, as we look at it, we'll understand tonight that when we see those things, those pronouns, that they're masculine in gender and they're singular in number. For example, turn in your Bible, if you will, I want you to just to take a look at this. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16 and going through verse 17, Jesus there is talking to his apostles in John 14. He said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him. It's a personal pronoun, but it's, it's a masculine personal pronoun. It neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He, him. Look at John chapter 16, beginning in verse 12. In the same sitting, a setting that night, on the night before he's crucified, Jesus again talking to his apostles said, Still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak out on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he <coughs> will not take what or will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Did you notice I didn't take time? to count all of those pronouns that are used to refer to the Spirit. But every one of them was masculine and and singular personal pronouns. If we're talking about the Holy Spirit as an it, we're talking about Him wrong. We're talking about a person. Masculine in gender, just as God the Father is masculine in gender, and Jesus the Son is masculine in gender. We could get off on preaching about tonight. You know how some in our politically correct day have decided that they're going to change everything, including the gender of of God. And so they put out their own translations of the Bible, and they've taken everything. Well, in our political correct society today, I don't even know how many genders they could put for God because they've come up with so many different ones. But God didn't do that. God said, I created the male and female. There's only two in the Bible, and he chose to reveal himself to us in the masculine gender. And personal pronouns are used in regard to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Not only that, but again, as we're thinking about characteristics of a person, here's a, here's a being that can act and can speak. That's what people do, right? We can act and we can speak. Persons can do that. People can do that. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit expressly says... The Spirit expressly says, and then he talks about in later times, some will depart from the faith and so forth. (coughs) Our focus is on what the Spirit can do. When the Spirit says something, what is he doing? He's speaking. They may be speaking through the knowledge that he gave to the apostles in their mind. He may be, you know, uh, but he is able to do that. He is able to convey, to speak, if you will. The Spirit expressly says. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Very interesting that not only can the Spirit speak, but have you ever realized, thought about the fact that He can speak every language? Look at Acts chapter 2, at verse number 4. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're talking about the apostles there who were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We don't have time to go back and establish that particular point. But they, they began to speak in other tongues. But drop on down to verse 6. In verse 6, the Bible says, And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. <coughs> and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Not only can the Spirit speak, He can speak so that everybody in the world, those who are alive on that day, He's not going to miraculously do it today, but He could speak through the apostles any language. You know, you may have to translate through Google. Or when Eddie, who's coming home tomorrow, as you know, and, and some of you have been there, you may have to speak to the Romanians through a, a translator. But guess what? The Holy Spirit doesn't need one. He can speak, but He can speak everybody's language. At the same time, even. And so He, he possesses that characteristic of a person, but, uh, you know, when you add some other things to it, you've got that deity factor coming back in again, but, but that doesn't negate the fact that He is speaking as a person. Not only that, the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit that He has a mind. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit has a mind because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. <clears throat> the one who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit. Not only that, but when we carry that a step forward, we understand that the Spirit has knowledge. In his mind. It's not just a useless thing that he has, but he has knowledge there. <coughs> in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at verse 11, the Bible says, Paul says, For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. One word that you need to focus on there. So also no one Here's the word, comprehends. Comprehends. He has the ability to know. Not only know, but understand. So he has knowledge and understanding. A characteristic of a person. You know, if we have someone who does not have the ability to, to comprehend things, it doesn't mean that they're less of a person, but we know that there's something wrong. We know it may be a birth defect. It may have been something that happened to them through an accident or, or whatever. But the Spirit is able to comprehend and know about God. And know everything that needs to be known. And again, alerting, alluding back to the omniscience of God. But not only that, let's think about this. Another characteristic of a person that the Spirit has is it that he can love. The Spirit can love. You know, husbands love their wives, and wives love their husbands, and parents love their children, and children love their parents. And the Holy Spirit 
can love just like God so loved the world. And Christ loved us enough to lay down his life for us. Look at, again, Romans chapter 15, verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The Spirit can love. We sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. We quote the verse, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16. But we need to understand that this same being, this Holy Spirit, He can also and does also love us. We need to, com- we need to comprehend Him in that way or think of Him in that way. The Holy Spirit... Again, another characteristic of a person that he has is that he can suffer slights. Injuries or slights, if you will, not getting hurt physically, but, but uh, uh, well, let me, let me just try to uh, uh, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul says, and do not grieve the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word grieve is a word that, you know, is an emotional thing when we think about it. And so the Spirit, the Bible says, can be grieved when we're not doing as we should. Notice not only that, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29 How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by those who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has, English Standard Translation, outraged the Spirit of grace? Outraged the Spirit of grace. When we trample Jesus' blood on the ground... Counting him as nothing, we have offended the Holy Spirit of God. He's become outraged as you were, as it were. What about Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32? Matthew 12, 31 and 32. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, I know when we read that, we wonder, some people do, have I committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Is there any way that, I, I, is there, have I done something that I can't be forgiven of? And we don't have time to deal with this in great detail, but we know that in the book of 1 John, that we're told by the Spirit Himself, that, that if we confess our faults, that He will forgive us. We know that uh, in 1 John chapter 1, that, that the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us from how much transgression? All of it. And so it seems, the very, very short version of that is simply this. It seems that the last hope that we have of salvation is by understanding, reading, and heeding what the Spirit says in His Word. He's the one who delivered the Word. And if we reject that, what else do we have? There's no other way of forgiveness coming through this Word. And so, 
again, simply to bring us back to where we are here talking about the Holy Spirit, you know, He can suffer slights. He can be blasphemed against, be spoken against. What about uh, Acts chapter 7, verse 51? Stephen said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did so to you. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? How many of you parents have ever said to your children something like this? There's nothing worse than lying to me. If you've done something, own up to it. Don't tell me a story. Don't lie to me. You know, we don't like that very much at all, do we? And if someone, if we find someone, some other person has lied to us, say a business person has lied to us, what's our normal reaction? Well, I won't do business with them again because I can't trust them. We don't like people lying to us. God doesn't like people lying either. You know, back in Revelation, chapter 20, where he talks about the lake of fire, on that list of people are all liars. God doesn't like it. But here in Acts chapter 5, at verse 3, Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, had agreed together to lie to the Holy Spirit, to God. Didn't just lie to the people, lie to the Holy Spirit. If we don't like people lying to us, what do you think the Spirit of Truth, as He's sometimes called, thinks about people who would lie to Him? It, wasn't, it didn't work out good for Ananias and Sapphira, did it? I mean, God struck them... The head on the spot. The spirit, like a person, can suffer slights. Not only that, he has the power to teach. Has the power to teach. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, watch this next part. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Yes, he'll bring to remembrance the things that Jesus said, but he will teach them, the apostles, again, that's who he's speaking to here. He will teach them everything that they need to know. Do people have the power to teach? Well, sure, we've got school teachers here. We've got Bible class teachers here. In a sense, tonight, I'm teaching but the Spirit has that power as well. He had the power to teach the apostles and guide them into all the truth that they needed to, needed to have. Not only that, the Spirit had the power to forbid. Look at Acts chapter 16, verses 6 and 7. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. 
And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. This is Paul on his journey, on, on one of his missionary journeys. The Spirit says, you can't go there. He did not allow Paul to go and preach in a certain place. Now, as you look at it, there was a need in a different place for Paul to be. And there was fruit to be born there. God knew that. He knew the situation better than Paul did. But simply put tonight, the Spirit had the power to forbid Paul to do certain things. But then, let's look at this last one here that we'll talk about tonight. The Spirit can intercede for people. The Spirit can intercede for people. If I ask you to define the word intercede, how would you, how would you define it? Well, I know, the, I know the definition is simply this, to intervene on behalf of another. To intervene on behalf of another. That's even a biblical definition as well. To intervene on behalf of another. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings, English standard, too deep for words. Literally, with groanings that cannot be uttered or cannot be spoken. There are times when we do not know what to pray for. I don't know the number of times that I have stood by the sick bed, if you will, of a faithful Christian who is suffering from cancer or some other terrible disease, and you know that their life on this old earth is not long. Their body cannot sustain life here on this earth. Many of you have been there. What do you pray for, for a faithful Christian? You know, one of the, one of the great comforts we have is, as Christians is to know that when this life is over, we have something more, something more blessed that we can enjoy for eternity. And so it's not a selfish thing. It's not a, a, a bad thing to pray for that child of God, that faithful child of God, that their, their suffering can be eased, that they can go on home. You know, I've stood at the bedside of some, and one lady in particular that I'm thinking about who had been such a caregiver to her husband, he, at that time, was the longest surviving home dialysis patient in the world. And she had stood by his side for years. Everybody knew that he was going to die before she did. And she was diagnosed with cancer. And she's worried about Moody. She wants to know who's going to take care of him. She is suffering terribly. 
and to talk to that person and say, it's okay. It's okay for you to go home. And to pray for that person to go home. It's hard. But that's what we as Christians live for, isn't it? But now, let's shift focus. Suppose that person lying on that sickbed is not a faithful Christian. They've never obeyed the gospel. They've rejected God their entire life. You know their life on this earth, just like the other one, is not long. And you've got parents or you've got a husband or a wife or somebody else who's there. Maybe they're faithful Christians. and They know the condition of the soul. What do you pray for in that case? How do you pray? When you're hurting so bad, not physically, but emotionally hurting so bad, how do you pray to God? I don't know about you, but I need some help. I need help. I don't even know what to say when I'm standing in a place like that. I can't say they're going to be better off because I know the truth. And so what does the Spirit do on occasions like that on our behalf? He helps God to know, intercedes for us, if you will, to know the real heart. We don't love our loved one any less because they're not a Christian. It's not going to hurt any less. I don't even know what to pray for. But I've got a helper. I'm thankful that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. That's something He does in heaven for us, not, not here on this earth. He's doing that in heaven. And so tonight... Just like a person can intercede for another. Have you ever interceded for another one? Another person? If you've ever prayed for them. You've gone to God on their behalf. You've intervened. You know, you've spoken a, a word on their behalf. That's what the Spirit does for us. Somebody said, well, I thought Jesus was our only mediator. Is that not what the Bible says? The answer to that is yes. There's a difference between a mediator and one who is an intercessor. One who intercedes for another. We've got the Spirit. That's who He is. He's there to help us. We, We think of Jesus coming and dying for us. And He did for our salvation. But we've got the whole Godhead working together for us, including the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. As we close our lesson tonight, the Holy Spirit is a divine person of the Godhead. That's what we need to understand. It's, 
He's not an it. He's not some mystical force. He's just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And He has a vital role to play in man's life and in man's salvation. Nowhere does the Bible teach He works directly on on our heart in a miraculous way, on a sinner's heart to save that person or uh, many other false things that are taught. But the Holy Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead who delivered the Word of God to the apostles who taught it and wrote it down. We still have it today. It's there for you and for me. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 still says that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He delivered it to us. In John chapter 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit. His part to play is by revealing to us what we need to do in order to become a Christian and to live as a Christian. And the last thing that I will observe tonight is simply this. We will be judged by the words delivered by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said we'd be judged by His words. He also said the Spirit would take His words and deliver them to the apostles. We will be judged by the words He delivered for us. Who is the Holy Spirit? You, you can't talk about it and fully comprehend or discuss God in one 45-minute lesson. We just hit some high points. That's who He is. We could add to that. We could know more about Him. And we need to study about Him and learn as much as we can because He is God. It may be tonight that you have never obeyed the words that the Spirit has brought, teaching us to be baptized for the remission of our sins. It may be that you have, but you haven't been living the way that you need to be and there's something amiss in your life that you need to correct. If that's the case, if you need to respond for any reason tonight, why don't you do it? As together we stand and